0: all righty good evening out there on the internet oh i got the echo mirror now let's get into episode 48 of scuba and the ride Hey, two right how you doing again. tonight
1: my man we are swimming again with the fishes or probably with the sharks now but you know it's fine yeah, you know maybe yeah, I, I, I have a lot of juicy meat on me, I guess. I do eat a lot of sushi, so they're probably coming after me anyway. So
0: yeah, well, you know, we'll see it. We, we we shall see what happens. Happens.
1: <laughs> All right. So just a quick recap uh, of my weekend. I did nothing, watched Netflix, ran a virtual 5K, and played a lot of games. That's pretty much it.
0: I spent some time working on video editing. I still have episode 47 to finish editing. <laughs> Um, it has been a bit of a challenge uh, to say the least because as learning the video editing aspect I'm hurting, there are certain bits to hearing my own voice and hearing the way I go through things it's like I don't like this so I'm taking mental notes to improve um, spent time watching Netflix as well I went through and watched all of Avatar The Last Airbender which was a great uh, stroll down nostalgia Lane and spent a lot of time doing Dungeons & Dragons stuff. Uh, kind of knee-deep in several different projects, which we will get into when we get to the state of game. Um, before we get too much further, yums and odds. alright, I'm going to fix this. We'll all fix this. Let's get into a couple of quick announcements. I don't have anything major other than thank you to Sirenscape for the sound boards and background noises. Today we are doing, using the shipyards, which has a purpose compared to the rest of the conversation I have. Clink, clink. Now I don't have this echo in my head. I'm not that vain, I like to hear myself talk. No, I don't. I'm actually very quiet, as most
1: people will say. Oh, I like to hear yourself talk. It's very gallant. <laughs>
0: Oh boy, yeah, we're going there. It's getting late, people. This is late night edition.
1: Oh, yeah. Late night edition. So, where was I? Oh, yes.
0: Shout out to and thank you to Sirenscape. And a shout out to, if you want to, again, let you all know that we do have a merch store. We do have several ways you can support the studio if you like the content that we're making and want to support us in growing and evolving the content we make. Biggest thing you can do right now is, depending on how you're listening to the show, whether it's uh, you're tuning in with us on Twitch when we do our live recording, you are checking us out in your in the audio version through uh, where all audio podcasts can be found, or you're checking us out via YouTube, please be sure to like, follow, subscribe, give us some positive feedback, give us any kind of feedback. We can't really evolve if we don't hear anything other than what we think is the right direction to go in. Let's be fair.
1: Yeah, we need you, people. Yes, we do need you, you. and
0: we're almost to episode fifty. Can you believe it? Two more episodes, I, and we'll. I can't today believe it, but it is, week, it
1: is. a crowning achievement. So
0: fifty episodes—a year we've been doing this.
1: Wow. It's All a right, grand, grand stuff. thing. <laughs> uh, we thought we would never get here, but we did somehow, yes. some way.
0: We're here, loving it, loving it now. Announcement's out of the way. Stay tuned, uh, all the doobly, all the infos in the doobly-doos below, whether, regardless of where you're finding us. Uh, shout out to uh, the Reels Terrain for our recent follow and pointing out to us about the audio issue we were having in our first go-round.
1: Very you much love. Us.
0: Thank you very much. That being said, let's uh, kick this into reviews and uh, see how we can do now that we've had a chance to work through this once.
1: I hear the clinks. It's all
0: about that. Alrighty, Ryan. Let's talk reviews. This week, we're going to... For our movie review, we are talking about the latest Netflix release, The Lovebirds.
1: Lovebirds are fluttering everywhere, but on Netflix for a day.
0: Well, tell us about the review, and if you have you're curious about seeing this review go to rye reviews all one word.com and check out this review and many of the other ones that rye has so studiously put together for our enjoyment take it away rye
1: all right so the lovebirds just to give a little history it was supposed to be released in theaters in late april but because of covid it wasn't and netflix picked up the rights and uh, put it out on their streaming services this past weekend so the lovebirds uh focuses on a couple uh, Lelani, played by actress Izaree, and Jabrani, played by Kumali Nanjani, as they get uh, caught up in a murder mystery at an inopportune time. And while getting caught up on this, they try they try to survive the night, trying to figure out the the figure out the identity of the murderer, but at the same time not get caught by the cuffs because they think they are accessory to the murder. And that's pretty much uh, the movie in a half show. So what you have here is your basic, uh, what I call a one-night-event technique. It is a technique that is used mostly in comedies, um, most notably uh, some big-name comedies like Superbad and Game Night. Um, Those were used, uh, this technique was used at a a very strong degree in those films, but in this film, it wasn't used very strongly. And what I mean by is they gave you the basic outline of, introducing the main characters, throwing in the inciting incident and dragging them along a perilous journey of trying to figure out why this uh, why somebody was murdered and all the little hidden uh, secrets and evidence tied to the murder um the plot itself is very thinly uh, thinly built. there's no real strong characterization. there's no uh, strong uh, d- uh, directorial move. everything moves along a point A to b to fashion. And you really pretty much know how the film's going to end. Um, within the first 10 minutes, you have a general idea of what the film's going to do. And sure enough, it turns out to be exactly what it is. So when evidence is revealed and plot twists come come alive, the heavy foreshadowing just kind of l- leaves a sour taste in your mouth. Because you just kind of know what's going to happen. So you're just like, okay, whatever. But the, the strength of this film, I believe, is in the main two characters, uh Issa Rae and uh, uh Uh, Kumali Nanjani, who play Layla and Jabrani, because of their stylized approach to comedy. Everything is predicated through through, um, free-versing and uh, uh, one-shots of their um, uh, conversation when they come across certain scenarios. So it's a mixed bag of of, uh, slapstick and uh, social referencing within their talking. And most of the time it hits strong And if you're very familiar with their comedies, um, uh, Nanjani, he's uh, from films like Harold and Kumar, and he's going to be in the new Marvel's Eternals films, but also he's from a show on HBO called Silicon Valley. And then Isarae is uh, from a show called Insecure, but she was also in a film recently this year called Photograph. So um, their distinct uh, uh, veracity of comedy actually creates a genuine relationship between them. So all their pitfalls that happen, mishaps and follies, it might seem predictable on the on the big screen, but it's very genuine between the two on how things happen and how things come full circle in their relationship. Take it away, Scuba.
0: All right. Uh, I do not like this film. I'm going to be... I'll, I'll cut right to the chase. I found this film extremely distracting and extremely hard to focus on watching. Uh, there were elements of the comedy and the dialogue that were extremely satirical, which there is a room for that in, in filmmaking, don't get me wrong. But I feel that they were a little over the top in some of it, which was off putting to me. Um, and because of that, it was extremely hard to watch. I, did, I just did not like this film. What I will say, though, the only the only redeeming fa- factor, <laughs> yeah, it was an okay film. Uh, got some new people in the chat. Welcome, chat. Welcome. Uh, the only thing I liked about the film, and this is the only small thing I liked about the film, is the fact that if you pay attention to that first fight between the two characters in their apartment, it sets the entire pace and theme of the rest of the film because if you listen to that conversation they hit on various points that you later see in the film as well as the whole premise for their day of shenanigans and antics going through and doing things but aside from that i wasn't overly i wasn't overly impressed with the film i watched i i'm Definitely not something I'm going to revisit anytime soon. Yeah. But we've seen this with other actors. We've seen this kind of thing like with Date Night and some of these other ones. They're not bad. It's just not my particular type of comedy I enjoy. So right
1: what uh, did you rate this film? It's very uh what you said is very predicated on the genre itself, and it is something that I point out whenever I do review a comedy. Um, is the fact that every genre has a very strong subjectivity to it when it comes to film. But comedy especially is is very, very subjective. You can have five people going into one movie and then five opinions coming out. So whenever you see ratings for comedies, they're always in various forms from the far end of the spectrum. So you, you take comedy as an approach of what you prefer and what you like more so than the other genres. Because you can adjust course with other genres if they focus on the bread and butter of what it is. Um, you have slapstick like Will Ferrell, which I normally don't like. And then you have like crude, dark satire or satirical films, um, which I do like. So you, those are a very, very varying degree of films. But for this one, um, like I said, comedy is very subjective. So the overall feeling of this film is that it's very basic within its techniques and its murder mystery tropes that they use. You know how the film's going to end so the plot's very thin A lot of the scenarios and slapstick humor are very obvious but what kept the film going and what kept the journey alive was the main two characters their bantering produced a really good contrasting relationship that felt real and authentic to me. So overall I think it is worth for people that are fans of the actors and actresses and fans of this style of comedy, I uh, gave it a three out of five uh, theater discount. I think it would be worth seeing the theater as a discount. But it's on Netflix, so check it out at your wish, people.
0: I personally gave it a thumbs down, and I would rate it a 2.5 out of five, only because of how distracting it was to focus on. And at least me personally, I'm not, there are other people, there are definitely people who are going to like this film, and I more power to you. So, with and I watched this because this was something that you wanted to review, and I feel our review conversations are better when we both see the film. Instead of me using critical thinking and intuition to draw conclusions based on what you said.
1: Yep, and uh, it is a very appreciative value because I've been dragging you to a lot of varying degree of films, and you've enjoyed most of them. So I've hit the ball at the park most of the time. Not every time, but most of the time.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Jojo Rabbit. I'm joking. <laughs> Jojo Rabbit was good. I love that movie more every day. But moving on.
0: Alrighty. So we're also gonna talk about a we're gonna do a TV show rewind. And that TV show rewind, as I mentioned at the at the top at the beginning of the show, is recently sat down to watch Avatar The Last Airbender, which just dropped on Netflix all of the all three seasons. And for you, Rai, this was the first time you'd actually watched the show. So I figured this would be good to kind of discuss and get your opinions and thoughts of the show. I'm, many of us who've seen this have probably already seen Avatar The Last Bender, Airbender and has some pretty good opinions. But being someone who's of a fresh viewing, tell me what you think of this uh, critically acclaimed show.
1: Um, pushing it, putting aside the, the, the fan, uh, the fan attention, the critical acclaim and all the praise that it's gotten because I never really, I don't base my stuff on prior opinions. I always take everything at base value, leave every expectation at the door and walk in watching whatever I'm watching as it is and coming out of watching, I watched all three seasons, um, from the first episode of the first season to the last episode of the last season, I can say that this uh, this is a Western animated uh, Western animated uh, show. It is inspired by a lot of Asian mythology and uh, uh, philosophies, um, but it is Western animated. So, you know, it takes a lot of techniques and tropes that are found in Western animation stories. Um, my overall impression of this series is that it is by far the best Western animated show I have ever seen. Um from the world building to the character design to the the characterization of every character from the main character all the way down, um, there is you see true heart and true passion in creating something that's so delicately influenced by a different lore, but able to create a world that is unique on its own with that information, with that um, with that research, and with that development. Um, watching this uh, show and watching every episode you see that even for the overarching story that links uh, season one to season three all the side stories all the one-shot episodes everything has a purpose of linking those pieces of the puzzle to create the 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 bigger picture and i predicate this on like reading the harry potter novels Um, There is the overarching story of the battle between Voldemort and Harry Potter, but everything that happens in between, even the little pieces, they all factor and have an influence in that overarching story. So um, Aang, the the Avatar, learning all the four elements so that he can defeat the Fire Lord is the main overarching thing, but everything that happens underneath it, all the side stories, all the side quests, even stories that don't even predicate on him, has an importance to that overarching story. So they put purpose in every little element of this show. And just to add topping on the cake, it is some of the best action I have seen in Western animation to date. Because every every uh, technique and style has a purpose to the bending that they use. And not only that, there is all, you see the strength in mastering the techniques as you see the skill sets as people fight against certain people, seeing how experts are look like against novices. And also flaws in in the the in humanity itself and trying to master these elements and be pure of heart So take it away scuba. All
0: right um, Of course, we all know this is good, but some of the things I really love especially after watching this Seven eight five seven years after it aired again because I'm had a chance to watch all three books in a while is seeing some of the elements and some of the side stories have <laughs> such a great uh, kind of influence. And as we ta- as we were men- talking about earlier, one of the things I love most about this is the is the bit in the third season where the the White Lotus gathers, and we see all of these older characters that the kids have come across throughout their journey, and how they're all from the different nations, but they all don't subscribe to the current politics of the war and what struck me about that is something in the sense that at a certain point of age wisdom knowledge war just becomes irrelevant like why do this there that it seems war is a young person's thing not not an old not an older older person's thing but they are older. They still they can still hold themselves up in a fight. I think some of the best action, aside from the younger characters, is seeing these old masters just decimate going through. And in a way, it's kind of the old an older version of the of Team Avatar in a couple of senses. But that kind of element, the the fact that, as you were saying earlier, each character has depth each character that you're introduced even if you only see them initially for a few minutes the fact that they call the character back later and that you're invested in what happens to that character is something that's really outstanding about the show and so I agree it's definitely one of the best anime shows I have ever seen the story is definitely way better and and more has more layers and depth than you would normally associate with an animated show. And I think the character development in some in a lot of cases is better than most Blockbuster productions. Because there are a lot of characters in this franchise.
1: I'm so impressed on how this show has so much depth for being one a Nickelodeon show and two being Western animated shows because a lot of Western animated uh, shows Even if they're fun and exciting, or or, you know, have a line, you know, a long lasting appeal, they're very predicated on simple design, simple storytelling, or pick up on usually mimic TV sitcom tropes. This one doesn't, this one decides to go its own route and do its own thing. So.
0: Okay, well, from there, let's uh, move on to a few uh, new movie news stories. Some interesting people. stuff that we'll lay over into later discussions. Our first one is a bit of news for Indiana Jones 5. And that is the fact that James Mangold is confirmed to direct. Now, James Mangold, if some of you are not aware, is the, is the guy behind the recent movie Logan and several other pretty substantial character-driven films so i feel that this is very interesting uh steven spielberg is still attached to be a producer so we're still going to have his 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 influence and it was his influence that helped breathe life into this franchise so many years ago but uh rye what are your thoughts on uh james matt gold coming to the uh indiana jones 5 team
1: uh, James Mangold coming to be the director of uh, Indiana Jones 5, as reported on IGN. I think is a very strong move and a very, uh, a very one that is welcome to the property and probably can evolve it, because James Mangold is a is a director that is known for evolving stories and focusing on characters. Uh, some notable films that he has done outside of Logan um, is Girl Interrupted, uh, Copland, Walk the Line. Uh, Uh, 310 to Yuma and the most recent and my number one movie of 2019 Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, so he has an idea on how to build, it doesn't matter the genre or the style of story. He knows how to pull out a character, pull on the character strings and make them the focal point, even in a different time or different era. And the fact that uh, he had one of his last films that he did was Logan, which was an aging, uh, aging, um, Aging mutant slash hero um, shows Credence that he can create uh, unique veracity, uh, character depth, and value into furthering a story of an older uh, hero. Because that's what Indiana Jones is going to be, uh, uh, you know, if, if they're moving further into his life, being that Harrison Ford is getting older, it's going to focus on an older version of Indiana Jones. So putting a director in the seat that he can do that and the fact that he can do flashbacks because of walk the line, um, just uh, you get an understanding of that you know this film is gonna have a strong character base. So that's what I'm looking forward to and hopefully um, that's what we get.
0: Okay. Our, Our next story is going to be a Some news on the next Jurassic World, and that is Jurassic World 3 starts a new era in the Jurassic Park movies. This article's uh, central theme is that when we get to the end of the next Jurassic World movie, it's not going to wrap up what has happened in this trilogy, but instead lay a foundation, as it were, for new stories to start coming up. Uh, We have we already know that with the third film three of three of the major actors from the first film are coming back to reprise their roles and When this is done, we don't know if The new cast is going to continue on or they're going to get new casts to tell new stories and I think in the overall sense this is much better than having a bookend so to speak and having to and putting yourself in the position to either a reinterpret the story or reboot the franchise or whatnot. But instead with, we can continue on and just go in a, a web of different directions. Uh Rai, What do you think?
1: I think this is actually a positive move. Um, not only is it, um, A Jurassic World Dominion, as it's being called, uh, is reported on Screen Rant. Um, Not only does it book in this current trilogy, but it actually sets, like you said, sets footing for a new era because the dinosaurs are on the mainland. There's plenty of various uh, storylines that you can use. How are people going to handle uh, living alongside dinosaurs? One, is there going to be different factions created? Two, and three, you're bringing back major characters from the original trilogy along with the current uh, characters. How is that going to factor in in the aftermath of not only the Fallen Kingdom, but what will happen in this current film? So there's a lot of unknowns, but the unknowns creates the possibility of developing new storylines, not only for another film trilogy, but maybe for a TV series, for an animated series, for even comics and stories. They're uh, allowing um, they're allowing uh, fruits of their label to be blossomed into creating a bigger universe. But only if you let the creative people do it that it's possible that you can create something uh, akin to Star Wars. So there's a possibility here where that um, even though uh, uh, the last film didn't really hit hard with a lot of people, um, that doesn't mean that there's nothing to mine there. So hopefully they will actually build upon what they set forth instead of just trying to string uh, back old as new and just hoping that people will just uh, stick to the wall, uh, stick to the wall and Taking nostalgia as it is.
0: That's gonna be a theme tonight. Alrighty, our third story, movie-wise, that we're gonna talk Three about. Three people is, I'm sure, something a lot of us have been hearing about recently. Is there's going to be a we all know the Justice League movie. We know all there's a lot of debate surrounding the Justice League movie and what happened with uh, Zack Snyder stepping away from it at the point in the production that he did and Joss Whedon taking over and. The film that we got and the debate on a supposed Zack Snyder cut that is out there somewhere to be found and released. Well, the good news is it will exist, and it's coming to HBO Max in 2021. We all we've all heard this about this, but apparently it's been a, it's been confirmed that there will be a Zack Snyder cut made. Because the, the quote-unquote Zack Snyder cut is not is not even 100% finished. He was in post-production when he had to step away because of the tragedy that affected his family. So, And Joss Whedon came in, which led to some of the reshoots and some of the way that we had the final film. So this is interesting. Um, Rye, what are your thoughts?
1: My thoughts is I think it's a it's a not only a boon and a win for Warner Brothers because they get uh, push another original content on their uh, streaming servers, HBO Max comes out May twenty seventh. I've already subscribed, um, but also it it is uh, it predicates upon the fact of how strong the voice fans can have in the in the industry. Some of the notable ones is the fact of when they dropped that clip about Deadpool and it actually. Got the fans to push for the actual Deadpool Deadpool movie to be created, and you see what we got there—awesomeness. Mm-hmm. And also, um, a Star Wars Clone Wars getting their getting their final season, mostly uh, not only because there was a stream platform for it, but also because of the fans pushing pushing for it. Yes. So this is credence to the fan community, knowing that they their voice is heard, and if there's opportunity, the studios will do it. So. What's going to happen here is that we're actually going to get to see the fruits of the labor that Zack Snyder put forth. And hopefully we'll get something better than what was released a couple of years ago. But knowing that Zack Snyder likes to dabble on like a one one shot note kind of technique in his films, it'll be it'll be a 50 50 shot. You can always get 300 or you can get a sucker punch. So it's just a matter of what you're going to get with him. But knowing that he is going to put his heart and soul and making sure that he delivers for the fans, um, I think we're going to get a positive result and probably get some more answers than questions on how, because of how that other film turned out. Because there's a lot of holes in that film that don't make any sense. So hopefully uh, Snyder's cut can fill in the blanks.
0: We shall see. Have to yes, tune sir. in next year to find out. All righty. Next up, State of Games. And I'll bypass the soundbite for this time, but let's get into State of Game. So State of Game is the point where we talk about the games we are playing and the platforms that we're playing them on. Uh, We do have a couple of programming changes as far as the State of Game segment, which we will get into. But uh, as with our proven track record thus far, the first thing we talk about is the video games that we're playing. And as usual, Rai, you get to lead us off, my man.
1: I will lead you with a controller and a bunch of button mashing, but button mashing with hand coordination because the game that I am knee deep in, which I've been talking over the last few podcasts, is Final Fantasy VII Remake. And the game is getting deeper and richer, and I'm moving into the latter half because I've gotten into um, Chapter 15. So we are invading the Shinra building and heading into uh, rescuing Aerith. So overall um this uh, journey through the game again which i hadn't played in many years has been a delightful treat and it has opened my eyes that remakes can be good if care and balance have been given to the game to be revamped not just by sticking a color palette and graphics on it but actually rebuilding the ground up because everything from uh, the story, the characters to the gameplay, everything has built from the ground up, but the core essence and spirits of the story is still there. So well, which, you have the feeling.
0: All, of, all A lot of that has all been kind of gone over, but I, I, I'm sure, I'm, I'm actually curious is what's your take on how the story has progressed so far? Because clearly they've layered in a lot more with the game when you get to this point than in the original version, which as we've discussed has been like the whole thing with technology and the improvement of technology and the ability yeah. to render but how's the story coming for you
1: the story has actually it's brought me a, a a a new life and new vigor to this game because the section of the game that this covers is basically a, a quick uh, shoe-in if you play the original game what they've done is put heart into all the characters that are involved in this part of the story and actually made it feel lively and real again. And it's credence on not only just just this game itself but the fact of well, how remakes should be and it makes me think back to the Resident Evil 2 remake that I played through on uh, how great that was and it's showcasing that you can return back to something old but if you give it care and rebuild it from the ground up you can you're not just adding a new color palette you're giving the story a new life. So not only can people like us who've played it before can play through it with a new a new sense of uh, uh, of happiness and glee, but it also gives uh, gives people that have an experience to live it through how the game probably should have been played many years ago
0: okay. So cool. And you said that's the only game you've been playing right now, right? Uh,
1: currently, yes we know there's there's another game challenge on the PS4 that one day I'll touch. Uh, but then again, I also have uh, Torchlight 2 on the Switch just because I love to loot and grind and beat a bunch of monsters, so.
0: Alrighty. Uh, well, for me, I've got a couple of video games I've been playing, which I know fan, if, if you've been checking the show out, I don't play a lot of video games. But uh, one of the games I'm working on is Space Engineers. Now, I'm teaming up with Saladin and Velgrasso And we're putting together a collab to do a stream where I play Space Engineers. Um, I have not played a whole lot of Space Engineers. And so, what we did last week is we took the time to kind of set up to see how we could get a joint game going and to go over some of the basics for Space Engineers. And... What I found is I enjoy this game, and I hate this game.
1: A heavy oxymoron there, Scuba.
0: It is, and here's why. I love the game because I like the style of game. I like the survival crafting games. Uh, I've spent hours and hours in Minecraft, which I know a lot of, uh, quite a few people have, in various form flavors and what have you. Space Engineers is like that because you have to build stuff, you have to collect resources, you have to navigate around and survive the environment you're in. However, the part I don't like, and that is mainly because of the amount of learning curve involved, is how nuanced and deep the controls are. You have to manage your three axes of movement, and there is no safety net. You can literally just grind yourself into the ground and kill yourself if you're not careful. Or if you're using the old jetpack and you don't have the angle quite right, you will literally skip across the ground like a skipping stone on water. And there's so many different things you can do in terms of collecting resources. You have to mine, but you have to have the right angle and the right position in order to mine. You could do this yourself, or you could get a ship and try and do it that way. But again, you're then having to figure out where you are in position and orientation. And otherwise, you're going to just just totally disorientate yourself. So that learning curve is a bit much. And I give a lot of shout out and praise to Saladin and, Val, and Valgraza for taking the time to kind of help me go through some of the basics. But even the time we spent, there were so many things that you just have to get in that mindset of learning how to do.
1: The
0: learning curve seems a little bit much. I'm still planning to do the collab, so that should be fun. The other game I've been playing is a return to playing Subnautica, only this time I'm playing Subnautica on the PC. This is another crafting survival style game, except for the fact that you are the lone survivor of 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 a spaceship crash on an ocean planet and you have to you are in the ocean you have it's all scuba diving based scuba yeah
1: yep dun, 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 dun,
0: dun. we got the joke moving on <laughs> a lot of scuba a lot of underwater exploration and a lot of hazards that come with do come with being underwater all the time and then there's a couple of different subplots uh, the big one being this planet is quarantined by some alien race. For some reason we don't understand. It has to do, from what I, it has to have to do with the bacteria content in the water. So not only do you have to collect the resources and discover a way to survive, but then you have to figure out how to treat the bacteria that's infecting you and disabling the planetoid's defenses so you can get off the planet. I have not gotten that far. I have no idea how long it takes to get there. I have never gotten there. But the playthrough I'm doing right now is I'm doing it on the, on the full survival difficulty, which is I have to worry about how much food I consume, how much water I drink, how much life I have, and how much oxygen I have in my tank. Which, previously, I would only worry about the oxygen and the health. I wouldn't worry about the food and water. Because I, I was playing on the console, and it was kind of difficult. But moving over to the PC, it seems a little easier to manipulate through the controls. Yes, I am adjusting to the PC Master Race. Okay, We good.
1: Smooth transition. Yeah. Smooth transition. Even Kirby agrees.
0: But here's the thing between the two. Subnautica has a very limited number of controls. It's very point blank on what you need to do. So it feels easier to pick up for a casual play. Space Engineers is is got so has got I would argue roughly double the amount of controls as Subnautica. And you have far more things nuances you have to try and get and wrap your head around. So between the two games, they're both in the same kind of genre in my opinion, the whole survival exploration yeah, crafting. Yeah, they
1: have they do have that that similarity.
0: Yeah, but Subnautica is a little easier for a casual. I can boot it up play for half an hour turn it off and I'm fine it's Just have to remember what am I trying to build next? Yes space engineers We did a. I sat down with with Graza Volgraza and Saladin and they told me how to change my perspective in the ship Day or so later I went back in jumped back in the cockpit tried to pilot the ship could not remember how to change the view. Could not find how to change the view. That was a little frustrating. So that's what I've been doing for video games. Uh, got to take a drink.
1: Breathe. Breathe. Yeah, drink. drink. This like is the point a, where
0: I spend most of my time talking. Yeah,
1: um. would be a game that I would play back in the day, but uh, not anymore. Gotta get you on the table, man.
0: Alright, let's talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Cause y'all know it's, I spent a lot of time, especially over the last couple last couple of years, really diving into dub- a lot of playing of Dungeons and Dragons. You do Running multiple games. It's good though. I mean, I'm sitting here on my show note template. I've got like six games I track. Yeah,
1: yeah. They rotate. yeah, they rotate what, like monthly? Weekly?
0: Monthly, weekly, all kinds of things. Um yeah. but Sitting there, and a good chunk of the show can be taken up talking about these D&D games, which I think they are probably better served if I do shorter, self-contained, lack of a better title, campaign diaries to talk about the games, what the party has done, where the progression's going, and some of the other crafting and um, dungeon mastering uh, issues and learning curve that I'm having with that. All my players seem to really enjoy the games I'm running. And I feel that, depending on the environment I'm playing the game, I'm, I'm growing and evolving as a dungeon master, which is really cool. So those are going to be, I'll cover the highlights as kind of a tease to go find the accompanying campaign diary video that I will start recording and putting up on our YouTube channel, which subscribe is. Subscribe today, people. Yes, Scuba Studio on YouTube. We try, This is where we put all the studio-related videos. D&D game stuff, movie reviews. The, the podcast is there. The show review stuff when we reviewed The Mandalorian and The Witcher. All that stuff is there. Let me get back to D&D. Three things to kind of go over. Uh, quick highlight. The No Quarter team has completed uh, another section of the Ice Fire uh, Adventure Pack. They went through and... Uh, dealt with the Dwarven excavation. They're on their way out of the Dwarven excavation site and let's See if they can make it back to the town without a couple of uh, road bumps um, We have the challenge accepted crew which is a DD live stream that I DM for that we just started it airs uh, went Saturdays 3 p.m. Here on Twitch on, on the scooby studio twitch yeah, 3 p.m. Eastern, and this is a group of adventurers that uh, are currently exploring a haunted house in Saltmarsh. Well, this last session, they were able to explore more of the house, and they had picked up another party member. A highlight from that is this party was in the hallway discussing where they were going to go next when the new party member was able to sneak into the house unnoticed and kind of watch them down the hallway listening to their conversation. And as the party turned to come out of the hallway into the entryway, they bump right into their new party member. So some interesting conversations ensued with that. I will have that that video up and released here shortly. I just have to finish tweaking the video editing. But the big D&D thing I want to discuss as far as for my state of game is last night I had the wonderful opportunity to be a guest on the Tides of Wildmount D&D stream put on by the great guys over at Realmsmith. Uh, Tides of Wildmount is an interactive live play Dungeons & Dragons campaign based in the world created by Matt Mercer and currently featured on the second campaign of Critical Role. In this one, the Realmsmith team is playing a set of characters. Jason Ezevedo is the dungeon master. And they are roaming around the Menagerie Coast in the Wildmount Campaign setting. They recently just completed uh, the entry level, entry adventure, entry, entry adventure tied to Retribution, and now the party has started to make their way to the island of Darktoe, which is the pirate stronghold in the, in the Menagerie Coast. What's been happening is RealmSmith's got this great Discord community that I, I, I'm a part of. And we in the Discord community, we're talking about being uh, the subscribers are functioning as the Reverie, which is the pirate organization. And for the last couple of weeks, we've been doing a lot of role play and kind of bringing life to the Reverie, which has been really fun, really, really cool. Well, <clears throat> last night, myself and the other uh, ship captain uh, in the reverie, were invited to guest onto the stream to interact with the players as they arrived in Darktail. That was an absolute riot. Uh, go check out the video, the episode on YouTube at RealmSmith's YouTube channel. Check out more Tides of Wildmount and the other and the other shows they put on by going by going to Twitch.tv/RealmSmith, and we'll see what happens next. I personally am enjoying it and would ask anyone if they want. Go check it out so, and uh, see if you want to participate in on the fun.
1: Check it out today, people.
0: But that's my big thing. All right. Moving on.
1: Moving on to some topics.
0: Yep, we do have some topics. We have some new stuff we're going to talk about. Um, the... We have one major article that kind of lead, that kind of follows up with some of the stuff we were talking about earlier as far as movie news. And this is a story about the COVID-19 has everything shut down. We're all aware of this. Things are starting to turn back on and come back to a thriving uh, community and workings going on. Last week we discussed that in New Zealand it looks like production on James Cameron's Avatar sequels is starting to resume, as well as production on the Lord of the Rings series that Amazon ordered. Here in the States, in California, which is the mecca of uh, film, so to speak, they're having some issues getting restarted. Part of those issues, is, as many of us have heard in the news, is all the various state governors and industries have put together these task forces to determine the best practices for and guidelines for businesses and industries to get back to work amid all of these concerns for social distancing, uh, improved uh, cleanliness and sanitation to continue to minimize, if not eliminate, the spread of the COVID vi- COVID-19 virus. Now that we have that back up, here's what's going. Here's what this article is focusing on. A white paper that was created by this task force in California was sent to the governor's office. Unfortunately, the white paper did not have all of the signatures and sign-offs and endorsements from all of the members of the task force, and which has led into a bit of a debate. So according to the white paper, the film industry should have been able to start getting back to work yesterday on the 25th. That's not happening. Nope. Nope. But within the article, there is a kind of a debate and discussion about what the unions want, are concerned about, and then what the studio executives want and are concerned about. And then how you're trying to bridge the gap to get things up and going. right you want to take over?
1: Yes. So basically, this is a task force that was developed by all the major players in the film industry. So all the, the major unions that are um, that run, that run uh, that run the business. You have the, the, the SAG and the AFTRA and a bunch of the other um, uh, guilds that focus on writing and the directors' guilds that have been part of this task force along with the industry leaders, the studio execs and the studios themselves to come up with a plan to bring everybody back because you want to make sure that when uh, all these people come back because come back to the movie studios that studios are set up in a way that, uh, you know, people are safe or social distanced and have a place where they can work safely and keep the productions going on these TVs, the movies, and everything else that people like to enjoy when they come home from their own jobs to watch TV or get off their computer and go to the other room. Um, but what it is is that this draft that was sent to the governor's office, uh, Governor uh, Gavin Newsom of California, it wasn't agreed upon by everybody in this task force. So now there's infighting of not only figuring out um, – Uh, what should be part of this uh, document going forward so that the industry can go back and running itself. But also, uh, two sides trying to protect uh, a slice of the pie. So you got these industry leaders and uh, studio execs that want to get production going, but they're trying to just go with uh, what makes best sense for them. So that's why they sent the initial draft ahead of all these other guilds. Uh, before they could get their say, so so it's a clash between two titans, which happens a lot uh, in the film industry, which is how we had the writer strike about a decade ago. Um, it it boils down to penny and nickels. So you have a side that's trying to find a way to adjust to the new norm, and another side that's trying to protect protect the the people of their guild. So it it is a clash of public safety and economy, but it is. Uh, an issue that it is a nickel and dime where the people at the top are fighting and the trickle-down effect is going to have a reverbing effect not only to the actors, the writers, um, directors, and everybody else that works on the production itself, but all the other people, like the people that work in the studios, the the light crew, the camera crew, um, the, the people that build the studios, not only the businesses that surround these uh, uh, um studio lots that uh, rely on these employees coming back and forth. So there's a trickle-down effect to them fighting over how much they should invest or how much they should slash. What say you, Scuba?
0: I say this is uh, interesting to read, and it's interesting to think about the dynamic because, as we talked about, the technology improvements are technology improvements. We look at what's going on in, say, the fast food industry with the introduction and disbursement of kiosks. Granted, right now, most of them are shut off because of the uh, COVID concerns and having to keep them clean because they're pretty finite electronics, especially with a lot of them being touch screens. So you can't do a lot of cleaning on that. That aside, there are a lot of improvements in the film industry and technology. Uh, Recent show I was watching is on Disney Plus. They're doing a Mini series that is a behind the scenes director's table conversation about The Mandalorian. In the recent episode of that, John Favreau is talking about the evolution of technology that he utilized and some of the fallbacks and concerns with doing like blue screen, green screen versus having being on location. A lot of it has to do with nuanced stuff like shadows and things like that, how to make it look good. He started exploring when he did the Lion King. He used video game engine technology to fully render in near real time the sets and the camera shots as they were doing it to see how it was going. Where before that it was, I shoot with the camera, I send it to I send it to this team, they render it, it comes back. Did it look right? No, we got to reshoot. Now it's very much real time and when they went and started working on the Mandalorian they stepped that further by creating this large space they call the volume which has an LED, which is a huge LED screen that wraps around 180 degrees if not more and a ceiling that is all LED and what they would do is they would set lay out the set and the scenescapes and the backgrounds and then shoot which turned out to be really useful in the sense that they didn't didn't have to spend a lot of time on the production as far as filming and having to re-film or use a lot of green screen because of the limitations of green screen. Why am I pointing that out? I'm pointing that out because the studio execs and the studio heads are trying to do what a lot of us are doing in our own lives, and that's re-evaluating how we do things. And looking at, okay, if I'm doing this production, I have all of the this village, so to speak, there for the production. Do I really need that many people? Is there a way to, re- to do more with less? And with all of this concern for social distancing and limiting group size and functionality, they're looking at, okay, how do I do more with less and still put forth a quality product. This is where the confrontation with the unions is coming because their concern is they don't want jobs to be cut in favor of automation and whatnot, which to me is really kind of weird because it seems the unions are holding on to what was, and they're not really looking at what It's like holding on to what we were is not going to work. We're not going to be where we were six months ago. It's not happening. We're in a new environment. We're in a new situation and a new business practice that's that's being created because of these two months or more of these various lockdowns and social distancing. it it strikes me as weird it's like you can't have both you have to give in order to achieve and that struck me as what really was fascinating with the article and then thinking back to these other improvements and the concerns with technology is going to take away jobs i would argue that technology is not taking away technology is making certain tasks easier to repeat than having a body, than having a person there, that we should be evolving and creating new types of jobs. Now that we don't have to worry about these these simpler things that have been replaced or improved upon because there's a, a a faster, more efficient way of doing. it. But it seems that's where a lot of that's a huge debate when you talk in union pro, pro union, anti union, yada yada yada. Which I'm not going into. We're not going into that.
1: No politics here, people.
0: No, we're just, it's just this. It's, it's highlighting how this is an industry that, like many others, has been stopped by COVID. And uh, this is an industry that is even now struggling to get back because we've had stories about the theater chains being in bankruptcy. We've had stories about theater uh, studios realizing that they can release to per premiere video on demand and get just as much exposure as if it was in the theater Uh, some of these antiquated systems like the Academy Awards realizing that you know this rule about a theater has to be in a theater for at least a day before it can be considered for an Academy Award and how that has hurt some of these streaming platforms that put together some really great content but because of these antiquated Kind of systems so to speak that up until this lockdown have never really been brought to light and now we're seeing that a lot of this stuff has got to evolve or if they're going to keep holding on to where they were is it going to be at the detriment of their progression so box over sorry i don't know why i didn't didn't go through that the first time around
1: uh well the second time's a charm so You point out the fact technology does evolve things. It does take away uh, stuff that used to be, but it predicates the fact that it can improve, uh, it can produce production value, but also that production value can uh, produce more content. So that would actually benefit by creating more jobs. So when you have the evolution of like online streaming, what this has uh, brought to the forefront is that studios are seeing more ways to get their content out. So it's going to produce m- more chances of having more movies, TV shows, animated shows, uh, whatever you want to think of in that vein yeah. um, for them to work. So that means that writers are going to have to write more. Directors are going to have to direct more, and that's going to create more opportunities with the technology. But uh, it also, you know, you have to factor in all the ancillary things when it comes down to it, because like I said, when the writer strike happened, it ruined a lot of a lot of TV shows, aka heroes. Uh, it killed a lot of people's jobs that rely on the studios running. Not only the towns around there, because even if it seems like glitz and glamour, it's still a town where uh, the film industry, like the, like every other town, it's one of their major halls. So if it's not running, the town is on a halt. So,
0: well, on the same token, yes, there was the losses of heroes and several other shows, but we also have to look at some of the shows that came birth from that last strike. And that is shows like Dr. Horrible sing along blog. Stuff like The Guild and 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 Geek and Sundry. Yeah. So there's been benefit to some things grinding to a halt. The question is, what will be birthed out of this?
1: Yeah, it it'll probably they'll probably come to some norm because some of the some of the rules and regu- some of the rules uh, based on social distancing, uh, are going to be lax to the point to where there's going to be normalcy. So, you know, uh, but they'll they'll figure out a way because even when the writer strike happened, they did come back around. So it's just a matter of time.
0: righty. well, now that we got that, we kind of beat that to death. We Let's get that. into some fun.
1: Hammers.
0: Can we have fun? Let's have fun.
1: I like fun. We do yep. have some, a little bit of fun.
0: You know you like to cosplay a lot, right?
1: Yes, I like to. Uh, I like to cosplay on uh, both sides of the pond. I was a queen. I was Jackie Kennedy. I was a ninja, and then a vampire. So I've been everything.
0: Oh, well, I believe this first story in our odds and ends bit is is right up your alley as a cosplayer. Why don't you oh, tell yeah. us about it?
1: Uh, uh this article uh, reported on Consequence uh, of Sound.net, a mail carrier from the UK who goes by who is uh goes by the name of Gary Undertow, decided to brighten up the day on his mail route by dressing up as Gene Simmons the Demon, uh persona persona from Kiss when delivering the mail in person. Oh. Um what say you, scuba?
0: I uh, think this is cool. This is Reading this and seeing that picture that's in the article, which the link will be in the show notes, don't worry, um, is great because it's very Patch Adams-like. This is very much, let's, again, with all of the social distancing, there's a lot of concern for mental health. There's a lot of concern about isolation and people not feeling well. And, you know, things are kind of miserable in certain ways. And here's a guy who's like, let me bring some joy to people's lives. And he's a big passionate fan of kiss so he took that passion and found a way to share it with the people he sees virtually every day and the cool thing is some some people noticed this and they tweeted it and that tweet managed to get to gene simmons who had managed to get on the kiss twitter feed and gene simmons retweeted it with the with the with the additional comment of, wow. Because this is a guy, I mean, the the makeup looks really good. I mean, not not there isn't a lot of reference material for for the KISS band, but it's really good, and it's nice. I I just picturing this guy coming and delivering the mail.
1: Yeah, I would be rocking on, uh, and my dad would be happy, since KISS is one of his favorite bands, so.
0: Alrighty. Next up. Uh, you know, this is another one that's right up your alley, and that is a recently the Pensacola Blue Hoos, which is a double-A uh, baseball team, they happen to be the affiliate with the Minnesota Twins, Correct. has recently posted their stadium up on Airbnb.
1: Yes, they have.
0: Now, Rye, you're a connoisseur of travels and adventures. What do you think of this?
1: Uh, what I think about this being that I love to travel and I love sports, this is a crossroads of happiness and glee.
0: Uh, <laughs> happiness very- and glee, you say? Uh,
1: happiness and glee. As uh, reported on the article on ESPN.com, um, this uh, stadium uh, is, uh, a for, is a 4 uh 1500 per night, and you can have up to 10 guests are granted, access to the stadium and it, it will include the team's clubhouse batting cage and field along with batting practice setup quote guests are welcome to hit from home plate play catch in the outfield run the bases enjoy a picnic in the outfield or find other creative uses for the field end quote so this is definitely uh, a welcome treat and then you get to go ahead and travel and enjoy some sun because it is in florida so Love go ahead it. and live, sleep, and dream baseball all in one. <laughs> let's go, Angelica. Let's go.
0: All righty. Well, I think this is a cool thing, too, because this is another sign of let's get inventive and try new things. So I'm wondering if we'll see any of the NFL stadiums going up on this, or what other crazy and clever ideas people uh, businesses come up with.
1: Um, oh yeah, you can sleep on an ice rink if you want to. That'd be a little cold. Well, there are hockey fans out there that are crazy. I have is, seen... This
0: is true. <laughs> All righty. So here's a interesting one from Netflix. And Netflix is apparently cleaning house.
1: They are kicking you out, people.
0: I'll keep, now, now let's, let's back that up. What they're, do, what they've, what they're doing is... If you have not used your account in over a year, they're going to close and remove your account. Yes. So if you haven't used it in a while, you might want to log into Netflix and check out shows like Avatar, The Last Airbender.
1: Oh, yeah. You better check it out, people. Um, As uh, this article reported on Gizmodo.com, quote, Netflix has announced Thursday that it will begin canceling the accounts of users who have not watched anything on the platform for a year since they joined. As well as anyone who hasn't used the service in two years, end quote.
0: So I'm really,
1: I'm um, really, um, it's kind of hard to, you know, yeah, maybe you won't watch Netflix for like a few days or a week because you might have Hulu or Prime or Disney Plus or HBO Max. If, uh, May twenty seventh, but um, a year. With all that content on there, you couldn't find anything to watch?
0: I beg to differ, good sir. I do not think it's a lack of content. I think it's because there are too many choices.
1: It could be. But at the same time, um, it is uh, it is upon you, people, to make sure you don't lose your account. So get on there and watch that airbender. Bend some elements, people. Bend some elements.
0: All righty. And our last story for tonight that we talked about that we're going to talk about. And this is a bit of gaming nostalgia and near, near historical near. preservation, we will argue. Yes. And that is the Insignia Project.
1: Dun, dun, dun.
0: The Insignia Project aims to resurrect Xbox Live for the OG Xbox. We're talking the original Xbox release and the original Xbox Live service that went online in 2002 and then went offline Um i want to say about five years ago
1: it's a uh 2010 based on the yep. article on yaku
0: about a little bit about 10 years ago so yep. what this is is this is a project to restart to allow people who because when the service was shut off access for certain a lot of online play for those original games was it effectively shut off as well well this uh group is trying to bring that back and rebuild the xbox live service which has been months months of uh, work trying to reverse engineer and rebuild the back end the back end of that service and so they can set up a server to allow the stuff to reconnect and for you to get back into your halo 2 games because you know who doesn't love halo 2 multiplayer am i right
1: that is probably my favorite multiplayer out of all the halos just because of nostalgia and just i'm yeah i'm yeah
0: righty. so the interesting thing for this and the reason why this article kind of came out now is because there was a recent leak of, of microsoft source code and the people behind the insignia project wanted to get out ahead of this and make it very clear that they did not access or utilize any of this supposedly leaked microsoft code that they all they had been working on their stuff long before the code release code leak and going into it took them roughly eight months to rebuild the kubernetes package that xbox live used because it wasn't a very well it wasn't very well documented in a sense there was a lot of custom pieces in that kubernetes package that they pretty much had to trial and error figure out and rebuild and they wanted to be very careful in going about this process because if it goes the wrong way then they could be facing issues from the powers that be at microsoft and they don't want to do that they want to find a way to preserve and restore a bit of gaming a gaming milestone and a gaming bit of nostalgia because the original Xbox Live service is what led to a lot of the way we deal with online interactions for video games now. It set the bar. I would, yeah. I will argue it set the bar.
1: It did set the bar because this was the first time that, I mean, like there have been, on, it's been online capability has been there before Xbox Live, but Bringing that kind of interface and that kind of interactability to the console setting was not really done to to that uh, sophistication till Xbox. No,
0: so, I and I remember back when they had the first modems on like the Super Nintendo. Yes. So. And I
1: didn't know existed. Until yes, I,
0: I remember many a night in high school, me and a buddy of mine would play Mortal Kombat three. On the uh, Nintendo modem, <laughs> and it was it was fun. And then I remember the OG Xbox and Halo, and all the seeing it wired down the barracks, Ethernet cables running from room to room to room, so we could do these Halo multiplayers. And then Xbox Live starts, and all of a sudden now you can have friends and and live chat and communicate and. just expand playing these games and it really kind of put it out there and beat the competitors in that sense and ultimately they started following suit with trying to reproduce some of those same things so this was like lightning in a bottle and back in 2010 they had to close it down because they had to upgrade the technology on the back end because xbox was evolving the way it was evolving and there was just no way to their their thing was there was no way to really preserve it. So yeah. this is nice to kind of preserve and restore this little bit in the evolution of not I I don't believe it's just gaming but networking and communications and all of these things that technology are, re- are really interesting things to talk about.
1: Yeah. And like you said, this is uh, not only is it you know restoring that network capabilities, but highlighting a very uh, strong cross-turning uh, uh, point when it comes to online gameplay. So that's definitely uh, keeping that intact for network capabilities. But also, this highlights the fact that uh, 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 video game preservation is an important factor in society because video games... Is not just a niche thing. It is a societal thing worth uh, that has a historical reference because videos go back go back decades, and there are very strong things that have happened, highs and lows in the video game industry that all these uh, uh, video game historians are trying to find ways to preserve either through emulators, through um, reverse uh, engineering code, like in this project. And other ways so that you not only the people that have played those games can relive them but also show the gen- new generation of gamers where everything that they're playing comes from yes. so they get an understanding of how mario came to be what is pong um why the jaguar failed uh what was the Dreamcast and how did Sega go from being a console maker to just being a software maker so there's a lot of things worth preserving that this is highlighting and showcasing that it's more than just uh, a monetary value it's, pres- it's showing the, the history and the culture of a whole industry and it's very near and dear to my heart you know I did a project on this, you were part of it, so yeah, so it does it does open up the eyes to people who don't that only see video games as just a hobby or just a crutch for, you know, uh, young boys to play, but actually a very strong historical value to it.
0: Alrighty. Well, wow. that's a great way to end, uh, end tonight, don't you think?
1: Yes. And with audio.
0: Yes. And with audio. Oh, I am so sorry to anybody who tried to watch this earlier. And we got it fixed. We're good. Um, so with that want to say love everybody be safe continue to follow those guidelines let's get this knocked out let's get let's get back to getting around the table again and playing some games and seeing what geek life is all about
1: yes sounds like good let's throw dice in the real world all right so here's
0: our contact information our various social media links Uh, got the chat window there for more chat conversation anyways Uh, Check us out. We got a Discord. We got Instagram, YouTube. We got all those social things. And if you like what you're seeing, please go to those platforms. Like, subscribe, get notifications, follow, let us know how we're doing, and help us so we can continue to improve and make more content for your consumption and and our overall enjoyment. All right, anything you want to say?
1: Let's uh, take off into the sunset and surf them waves. All Right. right, with
0: that, good night, everybody.